Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We'll be discussing the evening this evening, Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. In the section that we're now reading from, Srila Jiva Goswami is relating the intrinsic characteristics of the Jiva or ourself. The Paramatma Sandarbha is basically dealing with that manifestation of the Supreme Lord, the Paramatma manifestation, and we are his Tatasta Shakti. We are one of his Shaktis. So therefore there are a lot of common characteristics because we are his part and parcel. Mamaivam so jiva loke jiva bhuta sanatana. If we have a better understanding of what we are, what exactly our nature is, then we can extend that understanding, first of all, by recognizing the characteristics that are explained here, the intrinsic characteristics of what's our true self. Take away all the everything that's not us, and there is a true essence there, and that true essence has a lot of characteristics and capacities. And if we can see ourselves in the light of what Jiva Goswami is explaining here, we'll know ourselves better. And by knowing ourselves better, we will know the Supreme Lord better. We'll be more acquainted with him by knowing who we are. Because there's some differences there, but there's a lot of likeness. And therefore, there's the ability to like between the two. So... This particular section, dealing with the nature of the jiva, the intrinsic qualities, delineates 19 qualities which make up our self of the self, like the core, like if we strip everything else away, there's there's really just our real essence. So these 19 characteristics comprise our essence. So this evening... We're on the 28th Anucheta, and this particular Anucheta uh, deals with the concept that the Jiva, our self, is luminous. So, in the last discussion, we actually went over exactly what Jiva Goswami wrote explaining our luminosity. He explained that to us in the context, using as an evidence um, what Krishna said to Uddhava in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So tonight, we're going to unpack what Krishna said by going over more comprehensively the commentary, Satya Das. We'll read from that commentary and then we'll discuss a little bit uh, anything that may that we could add some additional um, explanation so that we fully understand it. So, Sachin Ryandas writes in his commentary Sri Jiva said that the Jiva is self luminous, which means that it is not dependent on another source for its revelation or realization. Just as we do not need another light bulb to see illuminated light bulb. 
a doubt may be raised about this definition of the jiva's self-luminosity. And we saw that doubt raised in our very sangha here. The doubt is as follows. Early on, it is said that the jiva is not independent, but is an integrated part of Paramatma, and thus dependent upon its own supreme source. So how can the jiva be called self-luminous? Since it must depend upon Paramatma, just as a table is illuminated by a bulb, the jiva is illuminated by Paramatma. So that doubt is a, is a reasonable doubt, as we saw. And how do we explain that? Because in the text, Krishna actually tells Uddhava, he reveals that we're self-luminous. So, well, are we dependent or are we luminous? Is our luminaris, lumin, luminosity coming from the power source plugged into the wall? Or is there something intrinsic in us that is makes us aware and luminous and uh, able to animate a physical body from the particular point of our relationship to the body which is one ten thousandth of a particle of a hair. I mean one little teeny one ten thousandth the tip of the hair is making this whole machine work. How is that possible? You know, so is that is that us? Is that our power or is is it just because we're plugged in? So Let's read through this commentary and really unpack this to understand what what are what are our capacities and is it just because we're Paramatma or aren't we or what? So to this Sri Jiva responds that Paramatma is the supreme intrinsic essence, Paramaswarup of the Jiva. In other words, the jiva is not an altogether separate entity, para, from paramatma, in the way that a table is a separate and independent object from a light bulb. Therefore, it is wrong to say that the jiva is other illuminated, para prakash, because paramatma is not, in fact, other to the jiva. To support this, Sri Jiva refers to the two verses spoken by Bhagavan to Shri, uh, by Bhagavan Sri Krishna to Uddhava. Then he goes on to, to explain this or unpack this according to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary on the verse in his Bhagavatam commentary. In this context, Sri Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, while commenting, commenting upon Srimad Bhagavatam, 11.10.8 writes, Though it is only Paramatma who is self-luminous, whereas the Jiva is revealed, Prakash, by Paramatma, yet, even in the matter, matter of its revelation by Paramatma, the Jiva, Jiva also exhibits some degree of self-luminosity. This condition is comparable to, to metals. 
such as gold and silver, which have some capacity to reveal themselves and other objects even while being illuminated by the sun. So there's some, some capacity in gold and silver. You could see in sunlight they sparkle. They also put out some, some luminosity. Here it is worth mentioning that according to the Nyaya school of philosophy, gold and silver are counted as fiery, tejasa, substances, pradartha, and not earthly such as wood or clay, although they appear to be earthly. There are exceptions, gold and silver. Just like in the examples given here, in modern chemistry, we have the metal, mercury, which it's, it's liquid, but it's a metal. So it's counted as, you know, as, as a metal, even though it's, it's a liquid substance. Because gold and silver are treated as fiery substances, they are recognized as having some illuminating power in them, albeit very minute in comparison to the sun. Similarly, the Atma has minute self-luminosity in comparison to Paramatma. This discussion began when Uddhava asked Krishna. So now, in the commentary, uh, we're quoting the inquiry by Uddhava of Krishna that led to the verses that are used as the support for what's being discussed in this section of the uh, Sandarbha. O Krishna, though, though primordial nature, Prakriti, and the individual self, Purusha, are both essentially distinct from one another, because they appear to be codependent on each other, the distinction between them is not readily apparent. The self is observed to be present within nature, and nature is seen to exist within the self. O lotus-eyed Bhagavan, because you are omniscient, please dispel this great doubt in my heart with your skillful words supported by logic. So as we discussed at the end of the last class, an analogy can only take us so far in these understandings. But what Jiva's bringing out here and what we should come away from this discussion understanding is we do have capacities and those capacities certainly are as we said they bring out the essence of the statement which is the core to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's explanation of the nature of the Supreme Lord himself, achinta beta beta tattva. We are Krishna, but we're separate from Krishna. We are the Shakti of Paramatma, but there is some separation. So we do have capacity, but the capacity is the fact, and we should see ourselves as having capacity, 
independent capacity. But ultimately, we're all fully dependent. So that's the point. When we say that jiva is luminous, that we have intrinsic qualities, that we can animate a material body, it's because we can. We have that much capacity, innate, intrinsic in our true nature, in our essence, in what is our very self. We have that capacity. But that capacity is there because we are part and parcel of the Paramatma. We are his energy. So as we are his energy, we can ourselves expand energy. How much? Well, we've touched on that. It's pretty significant how much energy one little one of us can exhibit. Like a Haranyakasipu. We can't sit in a yoga stance like you're doing, or we can stand on on a uh, was he on one leg or two legs, Haranyakasipu? One. We can stand on one leg in an anthill and have our entire body consumed by the ants our, our, and, and take resonance in the bone marrow that is left that they haven't got to yet. And from that place, we can, as a Hiranyakasipu, mastering all of our senses in our body, heat up the whole universe to where the demigods... I mean, first of all, the universe is pretty big. You know, we're on this little planet around this sun, and you know, it's you know, it's, it's one of fourteen divisions of planetary systems. Anyway, if you get into the math, it's you know, I don't know if you've ever seen on YouTube. Somebody's put a thing up there where they go, they go out and out and out and out and then back in. You know, I think it starts with the in a girl's eye, you know, and it, it, it's an interesting little video to see how insignificant you are, but that doesn't mean you do not have a lot of potentiality is what's being expressed here. And how much? Well, you alone, if you put your mind to it, can heat up the whole universe like a Hiranyakasipu where the creator of the universe has to come down and say, what can I give you? Can you just turn the heat down a little bit? You're performing all these austerities. How much energy you're putting out? Uh, what, are you, what are you doing this for? What do you want? I want to be immortal. Mm, yeah, that's nice. Don't we all? <laughs> I, I'd like to be immortal too, but I can't be immortal. But, well, yeah, okay. And then you know the dialogue back and forth, get as close as you can get. <laughs> or as we said, a Dhruva Maharaj, where he's a five-year-old boy, he's performing austerities, and what's he, what's, his austerity is such that he starts to first stop eating, and then he extends his eating to eating, what, just a little bit at the, once a month, and then he, then he quits eating altogether and take, quits taking water, and then he cuts down his breathing. And he cuts down his breathing to such an extent that everybody 
in the universe is having a hard time catching their breath. Such austerity. One living jiva. One frat. How much energy does Krishna have? I mean, really, if you if you put the, it in perspective, you can't come to an end of how many jivas there are. We can't even count them. If even if you could count all, even if you could count, it says, all the particles of sand on this planet, you still couldn't come to an end of counting all the jivas in one universe. So understand the analogy takes us up to a certain point, but to understand, you know, we just have to accept and we accept this as we as we deepen our spiritual understanding. We're given the fine discrimination to understand th these fine points of philosophy and we shouldn't be bewildered by them. We have capacity. The capacity does come from Paramatma, but it's because we are ourselves part of Paramatma. So there's a closeness there. We'll read on a little bit. In response, this is in response to Uddhava's question, Uddhava's questioning, you know, it seems that the jiva is very much tied into prakriti. How, how is this working? Explain this to me so I can understand it fully. Um, with your skillful words and logic. I want to be able to really understand what's the nature of the jiva within the material universe. What's, what's its true nature? So we're reading now, we're just we're reading the unpacking of the verse that Krishna spoke to Uddhava in response. In response, Bhagavan, using Sankhya philosophy, terminology, Sankhya yoga is that yoga whereby we look at the evolution of the planet, planetary elements and the evolution of the body itself with all its senses, its, uh, its knowledge acquiring and its working senses, it's that terminology that lets us understand how that unpacking of the universal elements and how that manifestation comes about within the material nature. And we'll just read through this because it's very it's very significant it it helps us this understanding of sankhya as presented by krishna to uddhava even in a superficial way because the sankhya philosophy is very deep um, but it gives us truly an understanding whereby we can cast off the misconceptions about what we aren't and really get to the essence of what we are. Bhagavan, using Sankhya terminology, explains that nature and or the psychosomatic organism undergoes many types of modifications that can be broadly divided into three categories. 
So, we, as a living entity within the material nature, what's it say here? We can go through many modifications. Modifications, meaning that we go through a process whereby we assimilate well, we actually manifest and assimilate a material body and accept it as our very self. That was what Udova was asking. How is it that we get wrapped up in this material nature? How does that come about? So, this is the explanation. It can be those modifications whereby we latch on to a material body and, and say, this is me comes about broadly by looking at three classifications, three categories called adiatmic, psychologically, we adapt, adibaltic, physically, and adidivic, deistic. The sense facilities, being instruments of the psyche, are adiatmic. The sense objects of visible forms, being physical in nature, are atibhuta, and deistic encoding, being the sense correlating presiding, correlation presiding over that by a deva, is adidaiva. But the purusha, in this essence, we're talking about purusha being us. We also are a purusha in our little domain of a material body, and that was also explained and used earlier in an explanation uh, when we were looking at uh, Narada's instructions uh, to pr Prachini Bharat, uh, where he explained uh, Paranjan uh, taking on the material body as his what? It was compared to his his kingdom. His so that comparison was there. And who was really running the show was the intelligence, Paranjani. So she was really running the show of the body of Paranjan, is what Nardamudi was explaining. The material nature itself has taken you over, and your intellect has adapted to her intellect. So now your material nature. You're, you're, she's running the show. You can't even think for yourself. You're chasing her around. You're chasing your intellect around within your material body, thinking, this is me, and this will make me happy. But the Purusha, or the Jiva, illuminates all these and is different from them. This means that the Purusha is conscious and self-luminous by its own nature, whereas Prakriti is other-illuminated. We're putting on the whole show. We're behind the whole involvement that is our material existence. We can't lay it off on somebody else. It's us. We're the one that's got ourselves into this environment and we're the one that's maintaining 
this elusive existence within a material body. And guess what? We can't bring it to an end. And these kind of understandings of what we are and what we aren't and how we are doing all this help us extract ourselves when we can fully understand how the whole thing is working. So these three modifications, Adiyatmi, Adibautic, Adidaivik, they work together in unison. It goes on to say here, Adibautic, Adidaivik, and Adiatma are interdependent. The existence of physical instrumentality, Adiatma, so, I'm sorry, not physical, psychical, it says, psychic with the mind, such as the facility of sight is inferred because of the perception of visible objects. The existence of deistic or environmental encoding, adidaiva, such as the formatting of sunlight to fit the visible range of electromagnetic radiation is inferred because of the eye's ability to perceive objects. That's an interesting twist on that, to throw in that scientific concept that we, we have some background in, even in our Western education, that there's a range of light. The sun is putting out all kinds of radiation, but there's a control of that light such that we can perceive it we can perceive a certain range of the radiation which we call visible light. But there's all kinds of other light out there. And we do the same thing. Our body, that light is controlled by a deity. So this is why this word deist is used here in that connection that the light, there is a higher power of the material energy itself where we can perceive a certain range of light and it can reflect off objects and those objects can enter into our eyes. Unless that control of the energy of the sun or light in this instance, unless that control was there, how would that correlate together? So the point being made here is the fact that all three of these things work together. Our self, the utilization by our self of a physical body which has physical senses, so we actually go out through our eyes, but there would be nothing to see without the sunlight. Without light, what perception would it be? Well, there's so much energy coming, there has to be a synthesis there is what's being said. There's a synthesis where, where there's a certain area of light that you and I can perceive. We can't see x-rays. We can't see gamma, certain light, gamma waves. I, I'm not a, I don't know the particulars, but you get the point. It's just like our hearing. We can hear in a certain range of vibrations within the ether. 
we can't hear all the vibrations. If we could, we'd, we'd be probably go crazy. I mean, there's probably a lot of stuff out there. But other living entities can. I mean, the fire truck goes by and the dog's barking before you even know what's coming down the road. But the dog knows it's already disturbing his, his psychic, you know. The same thing, you know, so, so many, in so many ways we can, we can logically infer how this material energy is working. And then we can, we can take that knowledge we have through our direct experience. And if we have, we add to that what's available to us from scripture that's explained in a vernacular that we can associate with that's a guru, somebody that can put it in a terminology that we can relate to it, then that's a perfect combination for our acquiring realization, transcendent realization. I just read, just to put this in a little bit of perspective, I just read an article that they put back up on the Harmonist that was posted a few years ago by Guru Maharaj, where he was talking a little bit, giving a little bit of a hint of what do you want to say? His his real his true his realizations. And he he just said there would be no way that I could explain to you in words. And he said when you actually can enter into and are given some of these spiritual what we call sporty. It's nothing like you thought it would be, is the only thing that he says. Whatever you, we, we, can, we can relate so much to what it must be like to experience Brahman. And he gave some hints in this article, and this is probably at the top of the list at the Harmonist now if you want to go and read it. But he gives some, he gives some indication there of, he had some experiences. And he says, I couldn't explain it to you. It's nothing like, don't expect what you experience when you, when you actually enter into and you even get a glimpse of, of revelation. It's not going to be like anything that your mind has clobbered together from everything that you've heard. But all this hearing is necessary to get us to develop the the greed, the determination to actually go there and experience it directly ourselves. That's what spiritual life's about. We want to go there and we want to experience it ourselves. We should be at a certain point pretty much frustrated with with the limitations of what we can have here. It only goes up to a certain point and then we hit a brick wall. I want to enjoy unlimitedly and I can't get that. You know, so even if that's a motivating factor, if that's what motivates our service because we want to break on through to the other side, use that to your benefit. Use that as, as an impetus for your practice. It's okay. It's all right. We can, we can do that. Ultimately, though, you need to apply the proper formula, and the proper formula for breaking through is understanding you can't break through. You can get up and you can knock on the door 
and you can say, please let me in. <laughs> that's, just, that's what we can do. That we can do. And if we have good guidance, we can learn how to knock in such a way that we're not, we're not a disturbance that somebody wants to keep on the other side, that they actually do want to open the door and let us in. So that's, that's the, the be-all and end-all of our practice, to know what we want and to, to know the limitations of what we can do. But the Purusha, or the Jiva, illuminates all these and is different from them. This means that the Purusha is conscious and self-luminous by its own nature, whereas Prakriti is other-illuminated. Adibhauti. Adibhuta, Adidaiva, and Adiyatma are interdependent. The existence of psychical instrumentality, Adiyatma, such as the facility of sight, is inferred. I'm sorry, I'm rereading what I already read. Excuse me. It is because of the involution of a portion of the presiding deity, such as the light of the sun per- penetrating the eye, that it, an instrument of sense, or Adiyatma, is enabled to see. Otherwise, some other instrument, such as a hand, might also be able to see. Uh, He's just explaining here, there's different senses that can correlate to different sense objects. So we have eyes that allow us to see and ears. Otherwise, if we were in our true nature, well, there's no distinction like that. That must be far out. Krishna can eat with his eyes. Krishna can touch with his sight. He can. So, the, what's it say? The senses are interchangeable on the spiritual level. So, you're going to explain that in some way that we could comprehend what that experience must be like. So, that's what we're talking about here. That's truly us. That kind of experiential existence is who we really are. Where the senses that we're using now to see a small spectrum of light or hear a small wavelength of, of, of sound is, is a limitation upon everything that is there in spiritual experience. And then, of course, we want to turn that all off and we want to go and we want to exist where that kind of Brahman realization is secondary to the emotional experience of a loving relationship on the spiritual transcendental plane. So imagine the devotee is like, yeah, I don't need these mystic powers. Don't. Prahlad's like, no, I don't want anything. I want the devotional. I want the emotional part. I don't want the experiential part. I don't want to be a Brahma. I don't want to have all these mystic potents, all these mystic... where I can jump into a river in one place and come out in another place or or whatever. I can make gold or... I don't know. There's a lot of cities. And they're very, very amazing, powerful things. And that's on the material plane. According to the Sankhya metaphysics described in Bhagavat Purana, 
the specifics of the Sankhya philosophy were explained by Kapila to his mother, Devahuti. If you want to study Sankhya and how this evolution of the senses comes about and the sense objects, you could read that section of the Bhagavatam. Or you could, I'm sure there's other Shastra out there that explain it maybe even more deeply. Maybe the Bhagavatam would only give a superficial superficial overview because it's really of little significance. It's nice to know all of these things evolve and we assimilate a material body and we call it our own and we assimilate the senses and we, you know, we are able to perceive. But really, what's that have to do with loving Krishna? If we can get to the that part, that's that's our essence. That's what we really want. Each sense faculty has a deva related to it who coordinates the functioning of that particular sense. Imagine, that's, and that's what it means to be a demigod, to coordinate that experience for the living entity, and specifically for, well, for all the living entities. To coordinate, to make that all work, to develop, to, uh, it says they all work together to give us our experiential life. Well, the demigods play an important part on that, of that. They, they make sure that the, what they're in charge of gives us the ability to perceive and as explained here just as light comes in at a certain range of frequency where, whereby we can perceive with the eye. The existence of physical forms, Adibhuta, such as a table is known through sense perception, Adiatma. The sun, however, is exemplified as distinct from the eye, the object, and its own light portion because it is self-effulgent. So the demigods are, in that capacity, they have some, there's some independence there on that, on their part. They, they're demigods. So that's kind of, in that sense, and also in the sense we discussed in the last class, they that we can see ourselves as fully independent, like like that, as the sun would be independent and not require. We can go blind, but the sun is still there. The light is still there. Uh, I want to share this with you. It's a little deep, but that's what this class is all about, going deep and touching upon some of this deep thought because it, it enhances our ability to discriminate and to develop fine discrimination, to hear how the Sanskrit language works and to hear some of the logic that Jiva Goswami is using to, 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 to milk the Bhagavatam in such a way that we come to a deeper understanding of all these truths. So there's a footnote here which I thought you would enjoy, hopefully. The words Adi Atma, Adi Bhuta, and Adi Daiva are used with various imports. Etymologically, they are comp compounds of the of Yai Bhava type in the sense of the locative. Thus, the word Adi Atma commonly means is or related to the Atma. Since the word Atma 
can mean body, mind, intellect, ego, the self, or God, the meaning of Adi Atma would differ accordingly. Similarly, Adi Bhuta means in or relation to the Bhutas. The word Bhuta can mean the five great elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether. Great elements, I'm sorry. Uh, or it can mean the living being in general. Adi Daiva means in or of or related to Daiva. The word Daiva can mean related to the gods, divine, celestial, fate, imminent being, or deistic, as it has been defined in this Anucheda. It's an interesting way, thing to, again, context, context, context. So we hear these terminologies, Adiyatma, Adibhuta, Adidaiva. Uh, I remember Guru Maharaj giving class within the last few years where he said, I'm using these words in this context. Maybe you haven't heard it in this context before. So don't be, try to understand the way I'm using these words to get the meaning I'm trying to convey to you in this discussion. So he said like that, if you remember the class. So that's, it's really context because these words, Atma, Bhuta, Daiva, they have different meanings in different contexts. So Sanskrit and especially like the Bhagavatam, this is all living scripture. This, this all comes to life in light of the way it's being presented and in light of the subject at hand. So we have to develop the fine discrimination to be able to not, you can't be so rigid in your understanding, well, Adiyatma means this, Prabhu. Uh, you can't really do that. It's not like that. Adiyatma means different things. Adidaiva can mean different things. Somebody can use these words in different contexts to convey different meanings, and it's all okay. So sometimes it can be very literal, and sometimes it can be very figurative, and that's the nature of our spiritual discipline. A doubt may be raised in this regard. Purvapaksa, remember? You need to see the opponent's position and be able to put it in a context. To see the sun, the eye is needed. Why then is the sun said to be independent or self-luminous? Shujiva answers that although the sun is an object of the eye's perception, it does not need the light of another sun to be seen. It is seen by its own light, which exists both in the eye as well as outside it. We can see there some subtle explanation. Adiyatmi, Adibhuta, Adidaiva work together to give us the experience of sight. Shijiva answers that although the sun is an object of the eye's perception, it does not need the light of another sun to see. It is seen by its own light, which exists both in the eye as well as outside it. Brahman is also called self-luminous because to realize Brahman there is need only of vritti vyap yatva removal of the covering of the Atma 
but not illumination of the Atma or Brahman. That the latter is not required is uncontestable because Brahman is always already self-illuminated. The same is understood here in regard to the Atma. So now we see the some kind of correlation there that in the material when we are in the immaterial environment these three aspects create our experiential life within matter Adiyatma, Adibhauti and Adidaiva we are truly and fully independent of that is the point that's being made here there's something entirely we are something entirely separate from what that experience of the phenomenal world that we are that we have taken on as our very self we are entirely separate from that and that separateness can be what varanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yaj jnanam advayam Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavan Iti Subjate. That self of ourself can be experienced, that what we are can be experienced differently as Brahman, Paramatma, or Bhagavan. As Brahman, we merge into that energy of spiritual existence as Paramatma, we realize the eminent self, the Supreme Lord, controlling everything. Paramatma is kind of like what we think of God in relationship to material nature. And Bhagavan is something entirely separate with an entirely separate experience on an emotional and loving level. But we don't have to be involved on this side of the equation. But we are and we relate to that and that's going to come up in the next discussion well how do we relate to this how does the false ego how do we do this how can we possibly you know have the potentiality of ananda which is what the next annotators will bring out the potentiality of ananda how can we possibly discard that and take up the involvement in this Adi Atma, Adi Daiva, and Adi Bhuta manifestation. How does that come about? In the next section, Sri Jiva explains the Atma's characteristics of being uniform, Ekarupa, situated in its own essential nature, Swarupa Bhak, rendering the body and senses conscious, Shaitana, and pervading the body, Vyapti Shila. I'll stop there for the evening. Questions? I, I had a, just a, a mundane question. Um, at the beginning, you said, you used some language. Paramama is Paramasvarup. It was like supreme intrinsic nature, supreme intrinsic... It's our tr- supreme, yes. Supreme intrinsic something. I don't know, I didn't know it's that. the essence of our essence, uh-huh. is, is another way to say it. Essence, okay. Paramatma is the essence of our essence. Okay, good. Thank you so much. So, um, so, um, referring to that, um, so that there's the the Paramatma. Well, well, 
what you what you were describing is the that we are um, luminous, and that the G um, that Paramatma is is it s still separate? I mean, it's we are. Achinta, Beta, Beta, Tattva. Right, right. Inconceivably, right. simultaneously, one and different. Now you remember we we've always I mean I was always told that the the the, the Paramatma is within us, within you know within. Yes. So that's that's still the same. That's still the same. Yes. <laughs> the Lord still resides in the heart with us. So he's still there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He didn't leave, no. Like two birds on a tree. There we go. He's still, he's still, he's in here with us in this material body. All right, I'll stop there. Thank you so much for your association.